This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon offered on the sixth Sunday of Easter, May 9th, 2021 at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Greensboro, Alabama. The principal text of the sermon is John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17, the continuation of the farewell discourse. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. For a long time... Love songs have been a popular musical genre. We have found lyrics of love songs in the ancient Greek and in the classical period of Rome, but they became really popular in the medieval and renaissance period. And this is where sort of the love song that we maybe are most familiar with, this is when there were traveling musicians that would go around and sing love songs about damsels in distress or courtly love between knights and ladies, and they would get paid for their song. In 1877, Thomas Edison invented the phonograph, which was capable of recording and playing sound, and yep, you guessed it, one of the first things that was recorded were love songs. It's estimated since that invention came into being, over a hundred million love songs have been recorded. These songs run the gambit. There are songs about new love. There are songs about enduring love and devotion. There are songs about heartbreak and loss, which happen to be the most popular genre of the love song. Also included in the pantheon of love songs are songs about love between parents and children, songs about love of a family, and songs about love of friends. If you listen to music on the radio and really pay attention to what's being said, you may feel like you're in a bit of a loop as musician after musician tries to sing songs about love, as they try to capture and express in some new way what it is to have love for someone, to be in love, to lose love, to experience everything that human love is about. We return again and again to love and our music and our art because love in all of its variations is an integral part of being a human being. I think that's why throughout the Gospel of John and through the first letter of John, we hear love discussed again and again and again, to the point where some weeks it sounds like we've already read this before, but yet we realize that we're a little further along in the letter or in the Gospel. A few weeks ago, we started in sort of this exploration of love in 1 John with See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And then last week, we got sort of the crescendo of those passages about God's love in 1 John, when the writer says, God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Our reading from the Gospel of John this morning is from what's called the Farewell Discourse, 
This is Jesus' final teaching to the disciples. This is the night before he is going to be crucified. He's gathered them in the upper room. He's washed their feet. He's given them the new commandment that they have love for one another. And in these final moments, Jesus is doing everything he can to give the disciples enough understanding so that they can hold on for what's about to come. Throughout his teachings, Jesus has used different images. From earlier in his ministry, he talks about a shepherd and the sheep. He uses the image of a parent and a child, a student and a teacher. Just last week, just right before this passage, we hear him talking about that he is the true vine and we are the branches. But now time is running short and it's really important that the disciples understand what's coming and what this love that Jesus has been talking about really means. For the most explicit that he will say, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, that no one has greater love than this, to lay down his own life for his friends. I think it's really important that Jesus moves through all of these different ways of understanding love and community, parent, child, um, teacher, student, the community of sort of the organism of a vine to this final moment where he focuses his disciples on friendship. Sometimes we sort of relegate this notion of being a friend of Jesus into children's Sunday school, right? This is one of the early images that I think we teach children in the church that Jesus is their friend. When we leave it at that as though it's the introductory course to the Christian faith to consider Jesus as your friend, we overlook the importance that Jesus and all of Scripture puts on friendship. In the wisdom of Solomon, we hear that in every generation, wisdom passes into holy souls and makes them friends of God. Abraham, the patriarch of Israel, is called a friend of God by the prophet Isaiah and again in the epistle of James. And Exodus tells us that God used to speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. The early church father Gregory of Nyssa described Christ as our true friend, and the contemporary scholar Diana Butler Bass in her most recent book says that friendship with God is not a biblical side story. Rather, it is central to the promises and faithfulness of being a called people. But why does Jesus choose friendship? What is it about the nature of relationship, of friendship, that's different than all of those other examples of love that he used? Perhaps it comes from what ties together friends. The best part of being a child to a parent is nothing can change that. No matter what I do as a child, my dad is still my dad and my mom is still my mom for better or for worse. My brother who sometimes gives me fits is always going to be my brother. We are bound by shared biology, shared stories, shared experiences, and there's no way for us really to stop that relationship. Jesus also talked about love in the terms of marriage. And when we look at romantic love, here we see a difference between a parent and a child because if you're in a, in a marriage, in a romantic relationship, you've entered that relationship by choice. They can be undone. 
And we've experienced that probably in our own families when a marriage has to be undone. And the, the basis of these chosen relationships is common interest, romantic love, a created family that's there. All of that serves to bring two people together. I think we can agree family relationships are complicated. Romantic relationships are complicated. But friendships may be the most complicated relationship of all. Think about it. For the grown-ups in the room, how do you make new friends right now? When you are young, friendships are easy, right? They're based on location, where you live, what school you go to, which classroom you're assigned to. As you get older, they might be based on some sort of special interest or activity, sports team, something like that. But there's a joke that sometimes shows up on my church nerd social media feed that says that one of Jesus' greatest miracles is that he was a man in his 30s and he managed to have 12 close friends. As we grow up and our interests change, as we move away from maybe where we started off in life, what was our home, as we develop these other relationships of spouses and families, it can be harder and harder to have friends. If we're lucky... And especially if we do the work, we may have a handful of friends that that relationship spans all of our phases of life. Friendships that grow beyond the bounds of whatever common interest or place that brought us together. And those friendships are really very special. Those are the friendships that if we think about it, that we might say we're willing to lay down our life for that friend. Now, that's sort of a dramatic phrase, but I think Jesus, not, Jesus actually does mean laying down our life because Jesus is about to do that very thing. But he also means that we're willing to deny things or to say that there are some things that even though there may be differences, even though we may have different self-interests, we will choose to stay in relationship to each other. On that last night, Jesus sat at table with his friends Think how different the disciples really were. Some of them were from the same part of uh, the Galilee. Others had different jobs, came from different places. We do believe, scholars believe, that there were women that would have been part of this group in the upper room. All of these people, broken and different and stubborn, called into ministry by Jesus. It's a group of people that in a few short hours would disappoint and abandon him when Jesus needed them most. But knowing all of that, he still looks at them and says, I do not call you servants any longer, but I have called you friends. The Gospel of John does not give us the Last Supper. There is no familiar shared bread and wine. It instead gives us sort of the weirdness of the foot washing and a very long teaching narrative from Jesus that focuses on love and friendship. Some of us maybe prefer the other Gospels with their more familiar stories and comforting sacrament of the Eucharist at the heart of it. But I love the Gospel of John and this story of the final night because before bread and wine has to come a community. And that's what John gives us. He gives us what becomes foundational to being a Christian. He says the church is going to be built through service and love and through the very complicated relationship of friendship is the love and friendship that Jesus offers in these last moments that allows his disciples to begin to pick up the pieces after the crucifixion when they realize how much they had failed their Lord.
It's what binds them together so that they can become witnesses to the resurrection. And it is friendship based not on common interest, background, or location, but on the love of Jesus Christ that will become the foundation of the church. I was born into the Episcopal Church. I have been fed by the beauty of worship and sacraments for my whole life. But there was a time, as there is for many of us, where I wandered away from the church. What brought me back? What got me back into the church wasn't wanting bread and wine as the sacrament of the Eucharist or a place to do public service or anything like that. It was wanting the love of community built on friendship. It was wanting to join together with people that their main common interest is their love of Jesus Christ. As we rebuild the church after the pandemic, There will be lots of decisions to be made, lots of things to consider about how we fill our pews, how we put our churches back together, how we heal our world of sickness and division that's in there. And I think a really important starting place is building communities based on Christian friendship. All of us here are friends, not because we agree on everything, Not because we're the same political party, not because we're from the same place or look the same or talk the same or we like the same movies. We're friends because we love Jesus. And because we love Jesus, we can love each other even when there are real differences amongst us. It is this love of God and Jesus Christ, this love that transcends difference that transcends history, that transcends biology, this love of God and Jesus Christ that holds us together as friends of God like Abraham and Moses is the love that will conquer the world. Amen.